all right, all right. So uh, let's go to the message today. And so today we are uh, continuing our series on the book of Proverbs. And we've been, we've been going through uh, just different verses uh, in the book of Proverbs. And by next week, so this next week as we go along, the next few days, you're going to be finishing uh, our 31-day uh, reading of every chapter of Proverbs. So uh, congratulations to those of you who have been doing this. I hope this has been a blessing to you. And so today what we're going to look at, we're going to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses uh, 9 and 10. And here it goes. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So those are the verses for today. We're going to be talking a little bit about this. But first of all, I want to share something to you about myself. Um, I love comedy. I love comedy. I love watching comedians. Now, some of the comedians I simply can't watch because I'm like, okay, that's just too far and I have to turn it off. But some of the comedians I really love. And one of the things that I absolutely love about comedy is not just how they are able to interact with the audience and do all these things. It's, it's really quite an amazing art form. But I, I like the way that they prepare their material. The way that they pre- prepare their materi- material is really interesting because these comedians, they... When they do a comedy special, then all of those uh, jokes, they have to just let them go and they have to start from scratch. And so what they do is they go to comedy clubs during the week. And then at night, they'll do a few sets. And what they do is they start trying out jokes with the crowd. So they'll try out a joke, and if the joke works, they'll keep it. If it doesn't work, they'll throw it out. And then they start uh, putting their uh, hour of comedy together on the basis of how the crowd responds. And so they'll say a few jokes, and some of the jokes won't work, and so they'll throw those out. And so they'll be working on that, and they'll have like five minutes. Now they got five minutes. And then they'll be working on the next month, now they have ten minutes. And then all of a sudden, they have an hour of material that they've worked on for about a year, or even up to two years. And then after that, you know, Netflix will buy it, or they'll put it, you know, HBO will buy it, or something like that. And then they have to throw it all away again and start from scratch. Why am I sharing that with you? Because in a weird way, I think my job is similar to the job of a comedian. Of course, my job isn't to tell jokes. My job is to share the word of God. But I kind of envy them a little bit because they have an entire year or year and a half to be able to prepare their material, to be able to know what works and what doesn't work. And then they are pretty sure that what they're going to share is going to hit well with the audience. I only have seven days. Every week, I have to come up with something new, and to be quite honest, I never know how it's going to work. I never know how you guys are going to respond. I am prayerfully preparing the material, but I never know what the reaction is going to be. And just so you know, I've been doing this for over 10 years, and I have probably had every single reaction known to man. People falling asleep during my messages. That's you. Thank you for that. People almost falling out of their chairs laughing at something that I said. People indifferent. Life change. I've seen life change. People's lives change or making major decisions as a result of a message. I've seen people confused. I've seen people mad. I've seen people leave a church because of something that I said. I literally had a drunk person as I was preaching, chiming in as I was trying to get through a message. Once we were, or, we were ordaining a, a pastor, and a pa- another pastor on a wheelchair uh, started opposing what we were doing because he thought that that person wasn't qualified for ministry. 
I've been through a lot of different reactions to messages. But my point is, my point is that even though most Sundays the reaction is going to be completely unpredictable, there's a couple of topics that when I talk about these topics, that the reaction is pretty much the same. And it's awkwardness. These are the two topics. One, sexual purity. The room gets weird when we talk about sexual purity. Number two is finances. When we talk about finances, the room gets awkward. Now, it's really interesting because the reason why I think the room gets awkward when we either talk about sexual purity or we talk about finances is because we're hitting a nerve. When you hit a nerve, the room gets awkward. So if I'm preaching on lying and you're lying, you're going to get awkward. If I'm preaching on lying and you have no problem with lying, you like, can preach all day long. If I'm preaching on gossip and you gossip, it's going to get awkward. If I preach on gossip and you have no problem with gossiping, it's going to be just fine. And so last year, about a year ago, I think, I preached on finances. And my thought was the room was going to get awkward. But I was surprised, happily surprised, to realize that it didn't get awkward at all. And you know why? Because you guys are a very generous church. So I'm going to preach on finances today. And we'll see what happens. I'm assuming it's going to be fine. But here we go. Here we go. So today we're going to talk about financial giving. And if you're here for the first time, I don't preach on this often, but we have to preach the full counsel of God. And this is part of what the word says. So today, financial giving. More specifically, today I'm going to talk about the tithe. The tithe. Maybe you've heard about the tithe. You know what the tithe is. A tithe is 10%. It's 10%. 10% of 100 is 10 10% 10% of 1,000 is 100. 10% of 10,000 is 1,000. So it's the tithe. And tithing is a spiritual discipline. Just like prayer, just like scripture reading, just like church attendance, just like communion. And we see it in the Old Testament, through the Gospels, early church, and to our present period of time. And so the idea with the tithe is that you're, the, the 10% is a representation of the whole. In other words, when you're giving back to God 10% of your income, what you're saying basically is this. I know that everything I have, I have received from you. I am giving it back to you, and I have no fear because I know where the source is coming from. It's an act of faith. In the Old Testament, we had different types of offering. Back in the Old Testament, we had the tithe, we had the first fruits, we had the free will offerings, and most scholars will agree that that added up to about 17% of a household income. And so you may hear that, and I, and I get it. You're going to say, maybe you'll say this, maybe you're thinking this. Is that, okay, pastor, then, then tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's part of the Old Testament. It's part of the Mosaic law. It's part of the law. And I have read, I have read, you may say this, I have read, Jesus, Jesus um, rose from the dead. He died and rose from the dead to abolish the law. We've all heard that scripture. Jesus died and rose from the dead to abolish the law. He, he came to abolish the law and the prophets. So you may say this doesn't apply to me. Are you sure? I think I might preach a series once called Things That Jesus Never Said. Because Matthew 5.17 literally says the opposite. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So what is the difference between abolishing and fulfilling? So there's abolishing and there's fulfilling. What does abolishing mean? 
Abolishing means destroying, it means putting to end, it means making disappear, it means doing away with, it means eliminating. Jesus, when he died and rose from the dead, did not come to abolish the law. He did not come to do that. Which means that even though Jesus died and rose from the dead, since he did not abolish the law, we should continue to forgive. We should be grateful for this, by the way. We should continue to forgive. Even though the law, uh, what, so the law wasn't abolished, so we need to continue to forgive. Continue to pray. Continue to be kind. Continue to not kill. Continue to not sleep with our friend's wife. We need to continue to do these things because God did not come to abolish the law. In fact, when it comes to the tithe, Jesus makes it very clear that he did not come to abolish this either. We read this in Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to the the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. He's, he's, He's confronting them saying, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, talking about the tithe. You give your 10%, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So what he's saying, then he continues saying, you should have practiced the latter, meaning justice, mercy, and faithfulness, without neglecting the former, meaning the tithe. So he's saying to the Pharisees, you should not neglect the tithe. Because, like we said earlier, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. So, what does it mean that Jesus came to fulfill it? He came to fulfill the law. What it means is that in his death and resurrection, he satisfied all the requirements of the law. Which does not mean that we should stop upholding the law. It means that those things that we do are not a matter of salvation anymore. We no longer have to forgive to be saved. We no longer have to pray to be saved. We no longer have to be kind to be saved. We no longer have to come to church in order to be saved. We no longer have to give the tithe in order to be saved. You see, keeping the law is no longer a matter of salvation. Because when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, that's what it meant. It is literally finished. There's nothing that we can do to add or to take away from our salvation. Jesus is the one who saves us. It only comes from Jesus, not from ourselves. So that's no longer why we give, just to be clear. Which which brings me to the question, if it's not a matter of salvation then why do we give? Why would we give? If giving doesn't save us, why do we give? And so to answer this question, I want us to think about a moment during our service. So Pastor Mark comes on stage after I preach, we do communion, and then we see this slide that comes up. I want to ask you a question. How do you feel when that slide comes up? How do you feel in the moment when we start talking about giving. I want you to take a moment and think about it. Because we come here, we sing, we listen, we pray, we take communion, and we give. How do you feel when that moment comes in service? Oh, here comes the awkwardness. Okay, I hope he goes past this one really fast. And then we're walking out, and there's someone with a plate there, like, oh, man, I don't want to make eye contact. 
How do you feel in that moment? How does it make you feel? Or do you feel, man, yes, here's the giving time. This is my favorite time in the service. I get to give. How do you feel? I think it's a good question. Have you ever thought about it? Do you feel guilty in that moment? Do you feel pressured in that moment? Do you feel scared that if you give, you won't have enough? Do you feel manipulated in that moment? Because how you feel in that moment says a lot about your heart in relation to giving money to God. It says a lot about it. And did you know that the only proper way, biblically, the only proper way to give to God is? Do you know what the only proper way to give to God is? Cheerfully. Literally, that's the only, the only proper way to give to God is cheerfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You guys were ahead of the game here, which is great, by the way. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. This is Paul talking to his church, to, a, to the church in Corinth. He says, each of you should give what? Number one, you have decided in your heart to give. Not what someone else decided for you. Then he continues saying, not reluctantly. Which means, I, I kind of I feel pressured, I don't know, like everyone's watching. Like not, not reluctantly, like, uh-huh, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. That's not a good way to give. Or under compulsion. This was a good service. I'm going to give a lot of money. Eh, I didn't like the message that much. I'm going to hold back a little bit. The worship was amazing, so I'm going to give. No, 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 no. Not under compulsion. Just set it up in a way that makes sense over time, not emotionally driven. And then finally, he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Do it happily. If you're going to do it, do it happily. Again, we don't give to be saved we don't, get to comp- we don't give to compensate for our sin. We don't give to get right with God. We don't give what someone else has sort of decided for us. We don't give under pressure. We don't give under compulsion. We don't give to get something. We certainly don't give to be seen by others. And we certainly don't give to pay for the service. Those are not the reasons. The only proper way to give is joyfully. That's why we talk about here in the church as one of our values is generosity is a privilege, not an obligation. Not an obligation. It is a privilege, not an obligation. Okay. So you may say, okay, pastor, great. Not an obligation. I am a New Testament person. We are no longer tied to the 10, 17%. Jesus died for our sins. He paid for everything. So I am free now to not give anything. Right? Because the law has been fulfilled by Jesus. Now I'm free not to give anything. Let me just pause here for a second. Before I continue, I want to make sure that we understand that there is an assumption that I want to break. Just so you know that there's this assumption that I want to break. Because the myth is that the result of Jesus fulfilling the law when Jesus fulfilling the law, the myth is that the result of Jesus fulfilling the law in his death and resurrection is that the result of that is that now I do less than I did before when we were under the law. Let's look at the early church. New Testament church had a more 
overall commitment after the fulfillment of the law. Since Jesus fulfilled the law, they were now more committed. They were more forgiving. They had more love. They were more generous. They had more faith. They had more unity. And when it comes to giving, you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 45. It says, all the believers, this is the church, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they weren't like the Old Testament. They, they gave between 10 and 17% of their income. What did they give? Everything. They had everything in common. Now that the law had been fulfilled, they gave everything. And here's why. I'm not asking you to give everything. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that before, the law was all about guilt. It was all about guilt. It was all about condemnation. It was all about compensation. It was a transaction between you and God. It was all about work. It was all about ritual. And all these are terrible motivators to give. We now have a motivation that is much more powerful. And that motivation is gratitude. To be clear, New Testament giving meant giving it all. That's why we say here that the tithe is a good starting point. But I could spend the next 30 minutes explaining why tithing is biblical and applicable to our period of time that we're living now. I could uh, explain why Malachi 3 says that if you don't give to God, you are robbing him and you are also robbing yourself of so much blessing that you won't be able to contain. I could tell you that Jesus speaks more about money than almost anything else in the whole Bible, but this is how I want to approach it this morning. You see, I never, never, ever want you to walk away from this place carrying a heavier burden than when you walked in. I don't ever want you to walk away feeling like, okay, I got all these problems, I got all these bills, I got all this thing that I have to take care of, and on top of it, now Pastor Josh is asking me to give more money than I even have. I don't want you to ever walk away feeling that way. Because generosity is not an obligation, it's a privilege, and so... Here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to walk away with. Is that giving is not a money thing. It's not about money. It's a heart thing. It's about your heart. You see, over and over again throughout the scriptures, you will, you will discover that what God is after in everything that he lets, allows for you to go through, what he is after is your heart. He wants hearts that are fully committed to God. Everything that you go through in your life, situation, people, circumstances, addiction, unfree, like whatever situation that God allows for you to go through is something that God has put in your path so that you, he can have your heart. So we have these decisions to make in life. See, tithing is not a matter of money. It's not a matter of money. It's not a matter of salvation. It's a matter of fully surrendering to God. And you cannot have a heart that is fully surrendered to God if you have not surrendered to God your finances. Make no mistake. The reason why Jesus talks so much about money is not because he needs our money. 
He doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't need our submission. He doesn't need our tithe. He doesn't need our gifts. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our surrender. Make no mistake, God's going to be fine. What God wants is hearts that are fully surrendered to God. And you can't have a heart that is fully surrendered to God if you have not surrendered to God your finances. You see, God has no needs. He's only a giver. He doesn't need anything from us. But the one thing that we can hold back from God is our heart. You see, this is a love story. It's a love story. God already surrendered completely for us. He did everything. As we walk with him, there are these steps that we take of hearts that are fully surrendered to him. You see, this is a mysterious verse. Uh, Luke 12, 34 says this, for where your heart, sorry, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's this link that I honestly don't fully understand, but there's a link. Jesus talks about this a lot. There's a link between your, your finances and your heart. Where your finances are, that's where your heart is. Tell me where your money is and I'll tell you where your heart is. Tell me how you spend your money and I'll, and I'll understand where your priorities are. There's a link. There's a door in a way to your heart that can only be accessed through your finances. You see, God doesn't want or need your money. But he wants hearts that are fully surrendered to him. And so what you're doing, when you let go of your finances and you give them to God, you're letting go of control. You're saying, I know where my finances come from. So I have no fear in giving it back to the source because I know where it's going. You may say, Pastor, I don't know where it's going. It's coming into the church, and then I don't know what happens to my money. It's a fair question. But I want to share something with you that will free you. This certainly frees me. I am responsible before God to surrender my finances to Him. The elders of our church are responsible before God to administrate the finances in a godly way. I will give an account before God for fully surrendering my finances to God. And the elders will answer to God for managing the finances well. And make no mistakes, our elders in our church, they are, they are full of integrity. There's so much integrity in this church and how the finances are managed. They're always prayer, prayerfully seeking the will of God in this. So, this is between you and God. This is between you and God. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes here for a moment. I'm going to end with this. Heads bowed, nobody looking anywhere, please. You see, it's all about letting go of control. Like we said before, generosity is not about money, but it's about your heart. So I want to ask you to do something here. You can just look down, and, and I want you to look at your, 
at your right hand. Just look at your right hand and I'm going to ask you to make a fist. Make a fist with your right hand and just look at that hand. Look at that hand with a fist. And imagine the inside of that hand, you have the finances that you're holding back from God. And maybe you're here and and you're thinking that the reason why God doesn't have that money that you have in your hand is because you are holding on to it so tight. Make no mistake, if you think that, your God is incredibly small because he can take it at will, by the way. You see, what God is asking from you right now is for you to open your hand. Open your hand. Go ahead and open it. When you open your hand and you give to God what you've been holding back, what God got is not that money. That's not that finances because they were always his from the beginning. What you have given up to him is the part of your heart that you were holding back. So I want to invite you today to take a step. Malachi 3 says, test me on this. See if I don't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't even be able to store. This is the only part of the Bible where God asks to be tested. And so between you and God, I want you to make a decision today. If you've never given, maybe today is your first day. Maybe if you're a regular giver, it's time to start tithing. I don't know what it is. This is between you and God. All I'm asking you to do is to be obedient to him. Lord God, we thank you so much for these moments that we share. We thank you for your love and your mercy and your blessings. Thank you, God, because you're a God that has no needs. You just want to bless us. And I pray, God, that as we make this decision to move forward, and to be obedient with our finances, that you will put that conviction in our heart that we won't feel, that we won't allow for ourselves to feel manipulated, to feel anything other than joy. And that this step that we take will be a step of joy, not a step of condemnation or of shame or anything like that, God. I also wanna pray, God, for all of those who just simply cannot give because they're, they're going through such a hard time right now. I pray, God, that you will provide for them. Lord God, we thank you so much. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.